Hey, here's a real late one for you. This one's real late, even for me. Probably not the latest, though. So what am I talking about? This probably isn't the latest one at all. I know there's been some insomnia episodes, but anyway. I was thinking about the idea of nothing coming in and nothing going out. And how rare that actually is for us. Because I did some drawing just about a, a week ago. I hadn't drawn in months. I hadn't done anything creative in months. And I consider doing this creative even just for whatever reason. Uh, but I hadn't done anything creative in months. Anything that would be considered traditionally creative, I guess. It was good. I, I drew so much that my hand was swollen and blistered. You know, I've gotten a little bit of that, but my hand was actually like the area between my thumb and my forefinger was like double the size of that area on the other hand. And I had actual blisters. It healed really quickly, though, which was amazing, but did so much drawing. It was amazing. And, and uh, it felt, you know, what's good is that it felt good to do it. And I'm not going to go on about this, but what's good about that is it felt good to do it. Because I was starting to get into the mindset that I didn't even think I liked doing that anymore. Or I didn't care about it. But taking a break and then just doing it again, doing a lot of it at once. And I mean, I haven't done much since that weekend. But still, I'm glad that it felt good to do. <laughs> I'm glad that it felt good to do. As silly as that sounds, it's true. But uh, in general, you know, I've started to live a life where like less is, is going out than before. And again, I guess I don't even consider this show that, you know, it, whatever the fuck this even is. I don't even know if this is a show. Can you even call this a show? This is just like an inner monologue put to tape, I guess. But anyway... You know, I was thinking about that because I think that's true for a lot of people, but more than me. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who live their lives, and especially up to a certain point, nothing was really going out into the world. It's a new development that a lot of people are sending just their thoughts, if nothing else, out there. And social media, the internet, plays a big role in that. People who otherwise would never be sending things out there, putting things out there, are not, not only doing it, they're doing it all the time. And even people who would be doing things anyway, like even somebody who, let's say, would be doing something creative or entrepreneurial, it wouldn't necessarily be exposed to as many people as it's being exposed to. So it's not just that people are putting more out there than ever before, it's that it's then going to more people. And uh, you know, but there are, there are also a lot of people who don't do much. That's what's interesting about it too. Is it's easy to do that, which is why so many people are doing it and so many people are receiving it. It's not that it's difficult to put things out there. It's that it's easier to do than ever before, which is why so many people are now able to do it. And I'm being as neutral and as objective about this as possible. I'm trying to do that more and more. 
I'm trying just to describe things as they are without adding my own spin or offering like criticism or commentary. It's hard to do. It's almost impossible to do as a fallen human being. It's almost impossible not to do that. And you can see that. I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm really taking in. I'm pretty hardened to people. Like I'm, I, I said to somebody recently, like I'm a naturally combative person. And I was like, am I combative? And I, I think I am. I think I'm oppositional. I think that I, I, even if I don't say it, I'm thinking it. Like even if I, I'm not combative to somebody, my whole life, like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I have combative thoughts, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but I'm trying not to. And I think part of that is not saying it. And, uh, you often, when you get in the habit of that too, you catch yourself before you do say it. Because like when you're in the habit of being cynical or critical or combative, well, I mean, a habit means doing it involuntarily. I mean, that's what makes, that's how you know something is a habit if you do it involuntarily. Like if you think about it and consciously make a clear decision to do something every time you do it, even if you do it consistently, it's not really what I would call a habit. I think a habit is something that you do unconsciously. I mean, my friend let me have her vape. I haven't bought one in a couple months almost. A month and a half. Almost a couple. No, it's been a couple months about. But I noticed that the more I was doing this nicotine vape, what they call a nick vape, I noticed it was becoming a habit when I was no longer doing it consciously. Because I was using these for a while. I, I was buying these. A, a friend was giving them to me. And, and I would have to consciously go get it and use it. I would have to consciously pull it out and use it. And even when I started doing it regularly, I was still doing it consciously. And then at a certain point, I noticed that I was just sitting around and I would just grab it and use it and not think about it. And that's when, I, I mean, I didn't even think about it. I'm actually only thinking about it now. But that's when it became a habit. It became a habit when I was no longer thinking about it and making the decision. Even if I was doing it just as much, even if I was, even if I was vaping just as much as I was a few months ago, a couple months ago, if I was thinking of it consciously each time I did it, I don't think you could call it a true habit. Even though maybe it's, I'm doing it just as much as I would if it was habitual and it's going to be just as bad for me, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it becomes a habit until it's unconscious. And so with wrong speech, you know, what in the Buddhist precepts, what would be called wrong speech. And I like that that's fairly general. I like that that's fairly open to interpretation. But my take, and I think the take that I've read and heard from other people. Wrong speech is often that thing that you can feel it when it's the wrong thing to say. It happened to me the other night. A friend was complaining about their recent, for, the recent former significant other who has some issues, like not a bad person at all. I met this person, not a bad person at all, but has some problems, has some demons. And this person was going on about a bunch of things this person did. 
And then I mentioned something, just one little thing, that, a story this person told. Like basically, the, basically this person like does have some dishonest tendencies, but they're not horrible. It's not like, you know, it's the funny thing about dishonesty. Like you hear that and you think like that's the worst thing in the world, a dishonest person. Worst, worst thing in the world. But it's like there's this and, and it's good to try not to be dishonest, but like there's such a spectrum to dishonesty. And this person, like they, they do some things, you know, that aren't good, but it's like there's a few dishonest things about them, but it's not the worst kind of dishonesty. But this person was going on and on about him. It's this person's recent ex-significant other. And then I just mentioned one little thing that played into that where I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that one story reminded me sort of a similar pattern of dishonesty. And that when I heard that one story alone, it kind of made me go, huh, you know, that's it's not a good thing to do. Like basically, eh, I'm, not, I'm not even going to go into it. I just see I, I was about to actually say what it what it is I'm referring to specifically but I got that feeling that it was going to be wrong speech <laughs> like as I was about to go into the example like I got this feeling that almost rose up through my gut that said don't tell the story don't don't actually give the the specific example and I know speaking in generalities can suck but whatever it's funny that was what I'm talking about just happened right now as I'm talking where I was, I was about to say what it was that this person said. Say what it was this person said. And then it, I just felt this feeling rise up in me that said, no, don't. You know, just leave leave this person out of it. But when, when I mentioned that story to my friend, before I said it, I knew I shouldn't say it. And then immediately after, I knew too, because the way they respond, even though it played into the point they were making, I realized that I shouldn't have said it. And it, and it didn't cause a problem. It just caused like this, this like brief like bubble of dissonance. And I was like, I shouldn't have said that. And that's a good example of wrong speech. And how do you really like? How do you put parameters around that? Like, how do you define that? For me, it's like this intuitive feeling, and. It, an obvious example is gossip. And gossip is habitual. Like the people who gossip a lot, it's a habit. Like if you ever talk to somebody and they're gossiping to you a lot, like this isn't one of those things like where they're even saying anything bad. It's not even like, oh, this person's talking shit about their friends. It could just be general gossip, like inane gossip. There's a good chance they do that a lot. Because it's something that's habitual. And when you do it, something does, if you listen to yourself, like something does come up inside you that says, hey, I shouldn't talk about that. But we're falling and we do it. Like I gossip. This show, this freaking show is like TMZ sometimes. <laughs> Every night's a school night, night school. It's uh, it, We're basically TMZ sometimes. That's our slogan. That's the new, I haven't come up with a slogan in a while. We're like TMZ sometimes, but, uh, you know, with, with Buddhist wrong speech, and it's not Buddhist, you don't have to call it Buddhist, it's something, the reason why it's a feeling that comes up inside of us, that's not a Buddhist phenomenon, that's not a, that's not a Buddhist process, that's a, it's a process that happens no matter who you are, what you believe in, what you do. Buddhism just happened to recognize that. 
and and you don't have to even know what Buddhism is to get that feeling and know and recognize it, which is how the precept even developed. But like, there's obvious wrong speech, like when you're talking shit about somebody, or you're spreading rumors, or you're ruining someone's reputation. Or you're saying something just really crude and crass that doesn't need to be said. Like those are the obvious examples of wrong speech. Because they, and those are like fuel on a fire. Like those are the things that incite something. There's obviously forms of wrong speech that are just obvious. Like just things you shouldn't say and just shouldn't do because they're, they're going to cause immediate problems. But what I'm talking about are those things where like it's almost intuitive like, it's not even bad on its own, but something inside of you just says, like, oh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. Just interesting that that happens. And what got me going on this is just that that precept, but apart from any belief system, which I'm not a Buddhist, but, you know, I might as well be, right? You know, it's it's a recurring, you know, it's, it's just part of part of what I'm doing these days, I guess, the last few years. But uh, anyway, it's something that anybody feels and does, and I'm making an effort to listen to that more and more. I feel like I've gotten better at it. I feel like I used to be way more combative. I feel like I used to push back way harder, criticize way harder, and I still do it. But I'm trying to go even further because it's just you can't do anything with it. You know, you can't do anything with that when you do it. You can do it, but you can't do anything with it when you do it. And the thing is, sometimes that means just not putting anything out there. And that's the hardest part of all. Because we as human beings, when the, when we have a blank canvas in front of us, we put something on it. Or if we don't put something on it, we leave it blank and we make that the thing. Like the modern art joke that like baby boomers used to make. Like, I like art, but I don't understand the, the this stuff where it's just a blank canvas in a gallery. That was a baby boomers loved that joke. Baby boomers love mod like jokes about contemporary modern art. Because I don't even like I don't like contemporary or modern art, but I guess I never even thought about it one way or another. Like it was like 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 boring contemporary conceptual modern art. To me, it's like it didn't even warrant a reaction or a thought. But I guess baby boomers experienced more of that firsthand, and it became this kind of like, you know, I I like a good painting, but when it's just a red dot, you know, on a, a blue canvas, um, and it, it sells for a million billion dollars. I'm, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, that, <laughs> baby boomers love that joke. They love making that statement. But, uh, but that's the point I'm making, though, is that, you know, human beings will, like, human beings have a strong urge, if there's a blank canvas, to put a mark on it or to do something with it. And that's what's great about us. It's also what's awful about us. But then we try to like get outside of that. Like we try to, we try to like, it's meta. 
You know, we try, we get meta about it where it's like, oh, I'm not going to put a mark. I'm not going to put a mark on the campus. The canvas is going to be the mark. It's going to be blank, but that itself becomes the mark. And it does. You can't escape the mark. Even if you leave the canvas blank deliberately, the second you make a point about that, well, what's a point? It's a dot. It's a mark. Once you've made a point, you've made a mark on the canvas, even if you've left the canvas blank. It's like taking a vow of silence. I understand, you know, there's retreats, I can't, Vipsana, whatever it's called. See, I, there, I can't pronounce anything. But, uh, you know, I know, I know there's, there's kind of like a, uh, it, it's, it's a form of meditation. Like, I think I've never taken a vow of silence. I've gone periods without talking to anybody very much. <laughs> I've got periods without talking to anybody, but um, uh, to me though, like when someone takes a vow of silence, like even though th there's probably spiritual value to that, I'm sure there is. I'm not gonna see that's me, that would be me being combative. Is be like there's no value to taking a vow of silence. But what I'm gonna say is there probably is something valuable, and there probably is a process to that. But the way I feel about it is similar to somebody like leaving a canvas blank and making it art. And, uh, so it's like, even, even when we take a vow of silence, we're making a statement and that's what I'm getting at. But if you can go through a period where you're silent without making the vow, it's kind of like quitting drinking. Here we go off a total tangent, but no, it is, it's kind of like quitting drinking where, like the best thing you can do is to quit drinking and not make a big thing about it. Alan Watts talks about this. He talks about like when you basically telegraph your plans or your thoughts, like even in your own head, you're letting the devil know your plans. You're setting yourself up in a way. And so the best thing you can do, if you're doing something that's harmful to you, the best thing you can do is simply not do it. But when you make like some sort of grand statement about it, even if that's better than the harmful thing, it's almost like you're still doing it in a way. It's like you're still mentally fixed to it. You're still revolving around it. It's like somebody, you know, who, who's in AA and their entire social group comes from AA and I know people like this and if that's what's working for them it works for them but for me personally it's like the idea of being in AA and around a bunch of people who don't drink all the time where that's a topic of conversation all the time even though you're not killing yourself with alcohol your life is still revolving around it in some way and our fallen nature means that in order to avoid something bad, sometimes we have to still revolve around that bad thing. And that's better than the other, the other, it's like, basically you're still revolving around it, but you've revert, you've reversed the direction. You've reversed the orbit. And being what we are as human beings, we, you know, we can't necessarily stop orbiting. 
But that's the ideal. Even if that's difficult to do, that it's still the ideal to just stop doing something, to no longer orbit that thing. Like I noticed that because, you know, I was talking on here probably last year or two years ago about trying to swear less. And I've done a good job at that because I used to swear all the time. It became a habit. I didn't think before I swore. I just I swore so much that I didn't even think about it. And so one day I was just like, you know, I'm going to try to swear less. But I had to very consciously do it. And I think that I've I still swear because, I mean, why would I stop swearing? But I've just made a conscious effort to do it less. But I found that initially, every time I swore, I would end up thinking about the fact. I was like, oh, no, I just swore. Oh, I'm trying not to do that. Oh, I just did it. And so in a weird way, I was still kind of circling swearing. Circling swearing. It's an awkward thing to say. No, but I still felt I was thinking, I was still thinking about it too much. But I realize like now, like I don't even, I don't know how much I swear anymore. And fortunately, I've reached a point where I don't even think about the fact that I don't drink very often anymore. It comes up for discussion sometimes. I mean, it's, it's a fact of life. It comes up. Alcohol is all around. People talk about alcohol all the time. Sometimes it's going to come up that I don't drink. And I think it's interesting to think about and talk about sometimes. But in terms of my daily practical life, I realized that I kind of forgot that I stopped drinking, but I don't drink. And that feels perfect. Because I did flirt around. Like when I quit drinking, I did flirt around with like, I think I made a couple social media posts. First one, I remember making a social media post about it. Because I actually needed, that wasn't even so much like, a, like an empowering, hey, everybody, I quit drinking, I'm doing it. That, it. that was even less about that. And it was more about, hey, so much of my social life revolves around drinking that I actually have to let some people know publicly just so, so that I can like not have to have that conversation a bunch of times that I quit. I'm just going to let it be known so that it's like practical information. Because so much of my social life revolved around drinking, I just had to let people know. But I did try a couple times to do like, oh, it's a, I, I quit drinking a year ago. I did it this way. Oh, look at me. You know, I, I did try to do that. But it's sort of like it, it's a form of wrong speech. I remember, I remember while I was doing it thinking, I don't need to do this. I'm doing this because other people do it. I am proud of it. And it's okay to be proud of the fact that I quit doing something that was terrible for me. But I remember like, like I went for a run and like took a picture of myself all sweaty. Like one of those, uh, go get it, get it, dude. Like one of those, uh, gym Instagram guys or something. I, I took a picture of myself really sweaty after a run and I was like, I, I quit drinking a year ago and I, I did it all on my own and it was very prideful. And while I feel like there's something to be proud of there, it just felt like the wrong thing to say. And, and especially it just felt like something I don't need to do. Like if you need to, if you need to talk to people about that stuff and tell people about that stuff, that's cool. But, uh, I, I myself just felt like, hey, you know, I don't really need to do this. I don't, this doesn't feel right. And, uh, 
you know, now that I'm at a point where just in my daily life, it's like I don't even think about it. That seems like the ideal. Like the ideal seems to be that if you want to stop doing something, you want to reach that point where you're no longer reminding other people that you've stopped doing that. Because that's kind of what you start to do when you quit something. You have this need to like constantly remind people about something you've done or aren't doing or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, it's just training yourself and asking yourself, like, what am I even getting out of this? But going back to the vow of silence, it's, it's very similar where if you can be silent for an extended period of time, without thinking about the fact that you're being silent, that seems like the best silence of all. If you can basically take a vow of silence without taking a vow of silence, that's a whole other level of silence. And it does kind of play into technology and social media, you know. And this this goes back to forums. This is this, this goes back to forums. This goes back to forums. This goes back to forums. Um, like the announcing that you're quitting. Because I was on forums in the late '90s, I think. I think I first started checking out forum checking out forums in the late '90s. And even back then, like on message boards and everything. It was a pretty regular occurrence for somebody to be like, announcement, I'm quitting. You won't see me around here anymore. Like, I'm quitting because of A, B, and C. And that person never quit. Like, that person always came back. The person who made an announcement that they were quitting always came back. Whereas other people would just disappear and just be like, oh, that person hasn't been around for a while. That person hasn't been on the message board for a while. They never said anything. You see that now with social media. And it's interesting that this is a, a phenomenon through different eras, through different types of people. Because I noticed, because I used to check out all kinds of forums over the years. Like I used to be on metal forums. I used to be on like just various, I used to check out like RPG forums and things, humor forums. I used to just check them out. I wouldn't even post on some of them. I would just read them and things. And, uh, it didn't matter what the subject was, what the type of person was. Like way back then, late 90s, early 2000s, people would still make these radical announcements that they were quitting. And then the person who did that never actually quit. They would come back sheepishly, you know. But then it's interesting that now with very normal people on social media, people like they announce when they're deleting their profile. They announce when they're taking a break and not even deleting their profile. And that's okay. You know, do what you want to do, do what you have to do. But it seems like the best thing you could do is just kind of slide into inactivity if that stuff is bothering you. And it's true for people as well. People have a need to like officially end friendships. And you know, you have to do this with romantic relationships. <laughs> you know, you, you know, if, if you're dating a girl and you just stop talking to her, what they call ghosting. What they call ghosting. That's not the right thing to do. Especially if you if it's like consistent. If you're committed to somebody in some way. Or you've just been spending like a significant length of time with somebody. 
you know, you don't, if it's romantic, you got to let them know just because that's the nature of the beast. But with friendships, like, I know a lot of people who actually end friendships in a big huff. I wouldn't say a lot of people, but enough people that I notice it where, like, they'll be like, we're not friends anymore. And sometimes, like, they and the person even, like, they, 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 had a fight and and officially ended the friendship together. Like people, it's crazy, you know. I I don't I haven't really had much of that. Can't really think of any examples where that's happened in my life. And it's like quitting alcohol. Like you recognize that like a friendship isn't working, or you don't like the person, or it's bad. So just like quitting swearing or or, or stopping drinking, you make a big announcement where it's like I'm no longer friends with them. You close the channel. And that doesn't always end the friendship forever, but it's like this big thing. But when I've no longer wanted to be friends with somebody, I haven't even stopped being friends with them. And I don't even know if this is the best thing. Like, I don't even know if this is the best approach, but I know that it's caused me the least amount of grief, the least amount of drama, the least amount of hard feelings. And it, and it leaves, I think, more potential open down the road if you do realize you want this person in your life. It is to just sort of slowly phase them out. And, like, there's there's a couple people I know that I used to hang out with who are problems. Like, I realized after a while that even though they were fun, they caused significant problems. And, and that's not a problem in and of itself. Like, there's people still in my life who cause problems. But for whatever reason, it's like it's redeemable. There's a balance or something. There's a reason. But there's some people who cause problems, and they might not even cause problems with you, but they might be people where you just start to realize, oh, it's not good to be around this person. And those people thrive on you quitting it, like ending it, shutting it down, because that gives them a reason to react. That gives them a story. They now have a story they can act out where I have a problem with with so-and-so and I'm going to tell people about it. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe what they said? Oh, they don't want to be friends with me anymore. They say I do this, uh, but they do this. Oh, and one time, you know, it becomes their story and that's what those people want. They want a story. And those are the best people to phase out. You know, you don't cut off all communication, but you just gradually phase them out. You stop meeting up. And there's people I haven't seen in a long time and the people who I've kind of blown off who I, I haven't deliberately phased out. I'm just in a weird place. But there's other people where it's like, no, I don't want to see this person, but I don't I do not want this to become a story. I don't want this to become something. I want them just to forget about it because that's what I'm going to do. But those people hate that. They're like, you're not giving me anything to work with. You're not giving me anything to work with. Like, give me something to work with. That's what they want. They want something to work with. Something to work into the story. And you don't have to give, that's the thing, you don't have to give somebody much. You, know, you, do, you do not have to give somebody much to work with for them to twist it into all kinds of shapes. They'll make it go a long way. But uh, you might even feel like you want to say something to him. But no, 
the best thing you can do is not think about it. The best thing you can do is just stop doing it without thinking about it. It's like going silent without taking a vow of silence. Because you can, um, I mean, it, it is that. Because you're going silent on somebody without telling them you're going silent. And if somebody can't respect that, then you're truly making the right decision. That just confirms that you're making the right decision. If someone doesn't respect your silence, you know that you're making the right decision by going silent. But what got me thinking about all this originally was things going out and things coming in. Because that's what makes that story, that's what, that's what uh, pushes that story along. But I guess just to wrap up that thought, I was, I was thinking about technology and just the way that so many different types of people through, in different situations have this need to like announce that they're stopping doing something. Letting people know. Or that you are doing something. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, like, what the situation is. I mean, a version, you know, a real-life version of that would be, like, you're watching a movie and something about it really upsets you or offends you. Let's go with a stand-up comedian. Like a stand-up, you're seeing a stand-up comedian, and they say something that really deeply offends you, and you want to leave. Well, all you have to do is leave. Oh, this pissed me off. This upset me. All I have to do is get up and leave. But people have a tendency to want to let out a noise, to communicate physically that they're upset. Maybe even to say something, you know. And that's a, just a, di a different form of this same thing I'm talking about. Like instead of being like, oh, this pissed me off. Or I, don't, or I just simply don't like this. I'm going to leave. You go, this sucks. <laughs> you mutter something under your breath. You like sigh. You, you do, tch. You do something. When you pick up your jacket, you do it in a, in a rude way that makes noise and distracts from the performance. You slam the door. Slamming the door is... That's what this is. It's slamming the door. People want to slam the door on friendships. If it's not working out, they slam the door on Facebook... Hey, everybody, I'm quitting Facebook. And they slam the door to let everybody know. When you can just do it quietly without thinking about it, hopefully. You'll think about it a little bit at first, but then you stop. I mean, I don't look at Facebook or Instagram anymore. I've talked about that on here, but 
I didn't quit them. I think I I posted something on Instagram a few weeks ago. I found that ski mask, uh, a ceramic ski mask somebody made at the college. Somebody, it was in the woods. It was actually originally, I don't know if I talked about it on here, actually. If I did, I did, but it was a few weeks ago. But I found this like little secret trail near the art building at the college. And people leave their unwanted ceramic art they've made, like college students and I was looking at the just different stuff. There was cool stuff in there. There was some really awful stuff. There was like somebody had made COVID, they had made ceramic COVID masks with like painted messages on them. And I'm like, oh my God. I saw them as I was approaching and I was like, is that what I think it is? And there were like three of them. Ceramic COVID masks. So that you can like decorate your house with, with fake COVID masks. With like messages of hope on them. But I saw those, and then I, I see this incredibly well-made, you know, like brick, brick-colored ceramic ski mask. But then I noticed that it has giant, floppy, realistic bunny ears coming off of it. One of them was already broken off. But I'm like, fuck, that's the worst kind of, that's the worst kind of art right there. This isn't wrong speech. This feels right to say. This is right to criticize this is perfectly fine to destroy and that is when people this example where a really well-crafted almost realistic looking ceramic ski mask like a like a ski mask that nobody's wearing that's like laying like you know this you know laying flat with like some wrinkles in it they did an amazing job. Like maybe they even cast it from a real ski mask for all I know. But then you add big, stupid, floppy bunny ears. Like I, I saw it and I was like, I don't even know. Is, is this like a Donnie Darko thing? And no, it's not. But that's a good example of this. Like I remember the Donnie Darko movie and I liked it. Like I'm not a movie guy. I don't really love movies. But I saw it when it came out and I was like, this is a cool movie. You know, it's, it's cool. Like I understand why people like it. But I was never into the whole, like, creepy bunny. Oh, dude, that bunny is so creepy. Oh, dude, a creepy bunny. Like, I had a college class with a girl. I, I may have talked about this recently. It doesn't matter. But I had a class, like, an, an art. Uh, it was like an art theory, art history class. It wasn't an actual art class, like, where you make art. I ended up making some art for it. But anyway, like, for a project. But... It wasn't an art class. It was art like theory, art history. And the first day of class, we went around and we had to say what our favorite piece of art is, which is a nightmare scenario. And a guy who looked like Basquiat or whatever, whatever his name is, like black guy with dreads, like light-skinned black guy with dreads, a guy who looked like Basquiat said that his favorite art was Basquiat. And I was like, oh, there you go. And then uh, it got to this girl and she was like, and I found her attractive. Like I found this girl attractive, but it got to her and like, she was, she was really nervous as you should be when you have to go around the room and announce what your favorite art is. But when it got to her, she was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I really like these like creepy bunny, like killer bunny cartoons. Like, and I, and I figured, like, I figured out what she was talking about. Like not the exact example, but like the style, like deviant art. 
creepy killer bunny, like a bunny with a weapon, like a bunny with an axe or something. Goth animal art. And like, obviously she doesn't sit around thinking like, my favorite art is creepy killer bunny art. Like this isn't a girl who sits around thinking this is high art. But I was just thinking about how like that was her go-to. And I remember thinking like I could work with that. Like I like I didn't I I never even like I never dated this girl or anything, but like I remember thinking like I could work with that. Like I could date like, at that point in my life I was like I could date a girl who likes like creepy killer bunny art. It's stupid. And I'll I'll be nice about it. But I can kind of work with that. Like that girl's she seems like a girl who's into like creepy killer bunny art is probably going to be more permissive about how fucking weird I am than another girl maybe. I remember th- I remember actually thinking that. That's how my mind actually worked in the moment as she said it. Because I was thinking I found her attractive, like my mind immediately went to like, "Ooh, she's into really stupid fucking art." Stupid things, but I can work with that. But then I, but then like the reality of that is like life sucks with that girl. I bet <laughs> that's wrong speech. There we go. I crossed the line. I crossed the line into wrong speech right there. No, but I it, truly though, it's like, like you think that's like, oh, I can work with that. Like she's into silly, gothy shit. Like she probably has like a dark sense of humor that, and she's also silly. But then you realize it's like probably annoying and like she's going to put up like things around the house that embarrass your you when your friends come over and you're gonna have to watch like adult swim with her or something, you know, but, uh, that's, that's like, that's what I, the ski mask kind of reminds me of like the ski mask isn't cartoony. It's like a a realistic ceramic ski mask made of like brick sort of orangey material, like, like, like a potted plant, like a, like a pant, a a plant pot. It's like the same, like that orange brick sort of plant pot, whatever that's called, like cinder maybe. It's like that. And, uh, it's not cartoony, but it's a realistic looking ceramic ski mask with these big floppy bunny ears. And one of them was already kind of broken off because you could tell it's very ginger. And I was like, oh, that's so fucking stupid that they did that. If they just made the ski mask, it'd be amazing. Just a really well-made ceramic ski mask. I, I bet that looked beautiful going into the kiln. And when I saw the bunny ears, I was just like, that's such a stupid decision. That's such stupid art. And I walked away. I didn't even think about it. And then I was walking Batty around the campus, and then it just hit me. I was like, I can just break the other ear off and take it home. I was like, I can just break, I can just break the the, the other ear off, and now it's just a ski mask. So, I, so before I got back to my car, I saw, I, I picked it up, and I was like, yeah, like the the other bunny ear just snapped right off, and now you can barely tell, like. There's just like a tiny little ridge where an ear used to be and you wouldn't even know it's not supposed to be that way. So now I just have the ceramic ski mask in my house. 
And my friend's mom actually came over a few days ago, a couple of days ago to check something out. And, uh, she was like, I saw that. It's weird. Said, what do you think when you see that? What do you think of a, a ceramic ski mask in somebody's house? I mean, it's perfect for me. But uh, it, it was a funny moment because I was like, God, they stupid, like, adding bunny ears to anything that isn't a rabbit is a dumb idea. And then when I, I just had this, like, this Einstein moment where I was like, I can break the ears off and now I just have a ski mask. But anyway, I don't know what got me going on that. Um, with um, things going out and things coming in, bunny ears going out. Um, yeah, I really, I don't know if I'm going to find how that thought started, but. You know, the need to slam the door, I remember, was the last thing I was talking about, or one of them, to announce what we're doing. Let people know. Make it official. And there's something beautiful about not doing that. And it interlocks with other things. Like, if, if you learn how to do that with one thing, you can do it with other things. Like, I've talked on here before about how disciplines interlock. Like, if you lift weights or you run or you exercise in some meaningful way, you become more disciplined about other things. Like, I noticed that with, like, when I started working out, like, actually doing more than just walking, like, lifting weights and running... At first, I didn't really change my diet or anything. Like, I maybe ate a little more protein, but I already ate a lot of protein, so I didn't really change much. And I was really only doing it because I wanted to, like, even out all of the nasty destruction I was doing to my body. I was like, if I'm, if I'm going to drink as much as I do and come home and eat, like, frozen pizzas, I got to do something more than just walk. I've got to, like, up it a little bit because I'm in my 30s now. And uh, I realized, though, like once I started like running and lifting weights and doing a little of that and not even that hardcore, not even that seriously, I noticed that I was like, you know, if I'm going to do that, like, why don't I eat in a more beneficial way that'll make it easier to do that exercise will show better results and just make me feel better. So it was like, I noticed that those two disciplines immediate, in, immediately interlocked, like the discipline of eating well helped the discipline of working out and the discipline of working out helped the discipline of eating well. And then I realized you could apply that to creativity. Like you could apply that to drawing. And even though I, I try not to do things, I try not to be creative if I don't feel it. You still can be disciplined about it. You still can like take the time to do it. And I noticed just with general procrastination, like I still procrastinate about all kinds of big things I shouldn't, but I noticed that a lot of like the little procrastination I would do, like not making the phone call, not going to the post office, like just these little things that were on my immediate to-do list that I used to put off. I noticed that, oh, you know, I'm getting better. I'm getting more disciplined about those. So like these different disciplines interlock. 
and learning how to not slam the door. Like if you can learn how to not slam the door in one situation, you start to realize that it becomes easier in another one. Like the reason why I made all those comparisons between like the person who like announces they're quitting alcohol, the person who announces they're quitting a friendship, the person who announces they're quitting Facebook, you know, whatever it is that they're quitting. If you learn how to, how to stop doing something silently and without much force, you realize that you can do that with a whole lot of things. And, uh, you know, I brought up social media like a little bit ago, but how I don't even really look at it anymore. I didn't quit it. Oh, that, there we go. See, it always comes back to me. Not always, but a lot of the time. What, what got me thinking about the ski mask was that when I found it, I had to share it on Instagram. I had to share the ceramic ski mask on Instagram. I didn't mention that it used to have bunny ears, but I had to mention it. That's what got me on there. And I hadn't looked at it in months, probably a couple months, maybe maybe a month, and before that, a few months. I really just I true I I'm not exaggerating. I just don't really look at it. I didn't quit. I haven't made a conscious decision to not do it. It's it's a habit. It's become a habit to not look at it. And uh, and that's not really even a habit. If you're not doing something, it's not really a habit at all. You just don't do it. But, you know, a couple a week or two, a couple weeks ago, I, I posted the ski mask and I got just like the first little like burst of other people's Instagram posts that I'd had in a really long time. It was the first time that I actually saw posts from people I know and it was psychically overwhelming. I could only take a little bit like it, it wasn't even negative. It wasn't like, oh my God, can you believe? I, I didn't turn into Livia Soprano and like, what is she doing? What? You know, I didn't turn into that. It was just simply overwhelming, like psychically overwhelming to get this burst of so many of so many people's thoughts and what they wanted to put out there, to send out there. And I realized that like we we built up a tolerance to that. Like, I think even somebody who was using forums or like live journal or like early forms of online communities 15, 20 years ago, I think if they were exposed to the amount of stuff on social media today, they would be overwhelmed. Even though they were looking at the internet too and they were on online communities, I think they would be overwhelmed, but they built up a tolerance. People have built up a tolerance to the amount of psychic exposure we get through these things. And when you don't look at it for a while, it's really easy to kind of like sense what people are trying to put across. Like I saw a post from somebody I know and I was immediately like, oh, I know exactly what reaction you're trying to get out of people. I know the exact kind of attention you are trying to get right now. And I'm not even saying that in a mean way. I'm just saying, I mean, there's nothing, that's what it's for. Social media is for trying to get attention. You wouldn't use it if you're not trying to get attention. You wouldn't post if you're not, if you don't want to be noticed. The whole point is to be noticed. The whole point is to get attention 
And, and we need attention. A baby dies, I heard, if it doesn't get attention. I heard that a neglected baby will die, right? I heard that. So we want attention. We, we like attention. That's why we use these things. But not having seen it in a while, like, and like, not having seen it in a while, like, the psychic sensation I got was like standing at the edge of a city lake where the fish are used to being fed and they all swim up to you with their mouths open waiting for you to feed them. With their, they have these big, it's like baby birds at feeding time. Like this little glimpse into social media, I was like, holy shit, like I'm looking at these open mouths just saying, feed me, feed me. And I haven't looked at it since. And I, I wouldn't consider my, I, I wasn't addicted to it. I never felt like I was one of these people who had to check it all the time. I checked it every day because that's what people do now. But I never felt like I was somebody who had any kind of issue with looking at social media too much. But even so, I'm glad that I just kind of phased it out. And I don't know if that's a permanent decision, but the last couple of years have just shown that it's, 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 it's psychically overwhelming. And when you don't look at it, your tolerance decreases. Your tolerance for that level of psychic exposure decreases. So when you see it, you're just like, oh my God. It's like a lot of, it's like having a bunch of other people's thoughts and visions like shoot through your body to look at it for the first time in a while. And you don't realize that you're doing that all the time when you check it all day or, or all day. When you check it every day or all day. Every day or all day. Because you've built up this tolerance. It's like anything. Spice. You developed a tolerance to the spice. But I, you know, there's no reason to delete it. There's no reason to announce that I'm not checking it. Let people know, because that's that's just another form of that open, fishy mouth, baby bird. You know, that's what you, when you announce that you're not going to use something or that you're going to quit something, that's its own form of wantiness. Because as I said before, like neediness, when people say someone's needy, it's a misnomer. It's wanty. And with that stuff, you want attention. You want to be noticed. And when you make an announcement, even if it's like, I'm not going to use this no more. It's like you want people to notice that. It's like I'm leaving the canvas blank, but I'm making the canvas the art. I feel like it's the same thing. But it's it's very hard to do. Otherwise, more people would do it. Because people want to do it. People want to go with the grain. They want to feel like they're um, just coasting. They want it to be a smooth ride, but we always make it bumpy. 
You know, we always, there's always a big clunk. There's always a door slamming. But I do think that you can consciously <laughs> make things a little smoother. Like you can, you can learn how to close the door gently. But ideally, you don't want to in slow. You don't want it to be in slow motion, where every time you close a door, your arm just creeps centimeter by centimeter, and you gently close it like a baby sleeping, and you don't want to wake them up. Like you want to learn how to close doors naturally, without slamming them. But also without making a big show of it where you like slowly close the door. Centimeter by centimeter. Creepy. Closey. Close the door. Creepy and closey. But the other side of this, this ended up going in a different direction than I even originally planned. But what got me going on on this though is just... Putting less out there. And even though people are putting a lot out there, a lot of it isn't very substantial. A lot of it isn't very meaningful. And there are a lot of people who don't put anything out there. There are people who are just kind of in their own world. And that's good, but then... The way the world is today, like we're also t like like you cannot put anything out there, but you're inevitably still taking a lot in, and that's the problem that a lot of people are have today is that like they aren't putting much out there, but they're taking so much in that it's too much. And we don't like to be in a position where we're not taking things in, which is why meditation is so hard. I've talked about this before, how it's so funny to me that one of the most difficult things the average person can try to do is just sit there not doing anything. There's nothing bad about it. Nobody's torturing you. Nobody's hurting you. But you lack stimuli. And that feels like the worst thing in the world. It's why waiting rooms. But I don't, you know, I don't read magazines or look at my phone in waiting rooms. Not that I never do, but I, I just try not to. Like when I'm in a waiting room, I, I kind of think this is supposed to be some form of silent, boring torture. And so I'm going to endure the silent, boring torture. Because if I bring, a, and I always bring a book just in case the silent, boring torture is too much, but usually when I find that I'm trying to read the book, I'm not enjoying it because I'm waiting for my name to be called or I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to be done waiting. When I'm waiting to be done waiting, nothing is good. Nothing on my phone is going to be good if I'm just waiting to be done waiting. Nothing in the magazines they have to offer are going to be good if I'm waiting to be done waiting. And if I do manage to like break through the ice in my brain and actually start to get absorbed in the book I brought, that is when they call my name. I don't even get to finish the, the paragraph I'm on.
So I might as well just sit there. But the idea of doing it at home is unheard of in today's world. The idea that you would spend even 20 minutes, five minutes, sitting there. How do you do that? Well, it's difficult to do. I can't believe how hard it was when I first started trying. Meditation was so difficult. It seemed, it seemed almost impossible, actually. And I, don't, I don't think that's an uncommon thought. I remember like my first week of just trying it out, not even that seriously, like just trying that out, seeing if I could just sit there, not even thinking there was going to be any kind of spiritual breakthrough or anything, just thinking, I, I need to see if I can sit here. And it seemed impossible to endure. And I was talking to a friend a while back who, who's on the sort of a spiritual path. And you don't want to like preach, you don't want to like tell people they should meditate. But I just, I just mentioned like, you know, what meditation does for me. And my friend was like, oh, I could never do that. I have ADD. I could never do that. I think he'd be surprised. And maybe he does now. I don't know. We talk, but I don't ask. We don't, we don't talk about it. It's like talking about going to the bathroom. Maybe he meditates now. I don't know. It's like talking about personal matters. But, uh, cause you know, like when you start, cause I you know I was talking a lot about not doing something and how it's better to learn how to do that seamlessly and not even think about it. And if you're not thinking about it, you're certainly not talking about it. And the first step to stopping thinking about something is to stop talking about it first. And the less, I mean, with drinking, quitting drinking, the less that I talk about quitting drinking, the less I think about quitting drinking. And I just don't drink and that's all there is. The same is true for doing things. Like when something is new to you, you're excited to talk about it. You're excited to, hey, I'm doing this new thing. Have you heard of running? Hey, I started doing this new thing called running. You ever heard of that? It's new to you. It feels like you're like Christopher Columbus. I discovered it. And part of that is because it feels good to be doing it. And it's, it, it's good for you. And so you want to let people, you're proud. You want to let people know that you're doing something that's good. And then a part of you too, because you know that it's good for you and you feel better or you're experiencing something that feels like the right thing or the meaningful thing, you also want to recommend it. But that makes you the most annoying person in the world. Hey, have you, have you ever tried running? I really recommend this this thing called running. Maybe you heard of it. You move your feet really fast. Meditation, you know. Hey, I started meditating. Have you ever thought about doing it? Oh, hey, I found Jesus. You ever have you ever think about finding Jesus? You don't want to be that person, and it's hard not to be. The best thing of all is like when meditation just becomes something you do. And it's not something you bring up all the time. It's just part of your life. When a new discipline becomes just something you do, yeah, it's going to come up. Yeah, you're going to think about it. 
I've been meditating far less lately. My, my meditation's been screwed up. I still do it. Just not every day. And I've been taking some breaks, days off. That's fine, though. It feels like the right thing to do. I've been doing it long enough to where I feel like it's there for me and I will continue to do it. But the best thing is when you start doing something like that and you get past the point of needing to talk about it and therefore needing to think about it and you just do it. Just like by not talking about something that helps you stop thinking about it and that helps you stop doing it. The same principle applies to doing something. Stop talking about it. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. Nike. It's really the best slogan there is. They, they really got it. They really nailed it. Um... And so, you know, one of the issues that we have, though, the, the, the modern people have, and maybe it always existed in different ways, but I don't think there's much argument that it's more difficult now, is it's hard not to be taking things in. Like, I've talked on here before about, like, you can't go anywhere without music playing. It's insane to me. Like, I love music, sure, but it's insane to me that you can't even go into a store without music playing. You can't walk down the street without hearing music playing from someone's car. Everywhere we go, there's music playing. And usually you hate it. Like, usually it's, it's at the very least music you don't like. You're not hearing music you like and music gives us a very deep response and we've created this world and you know maybe there were always like people playing music on the street like maybe there was always like some somebody somewhere but technology has allowed us to have speakers everywhere so everybody's this little dj with music on demand and i don't like most of it and I'm exposed to it everywhere I go. What does that do for your quality of life? And you tune it out because you're so used to it. Like, you don't even think about the fact that when you go to the grocery store, there's music playing, but there is because you just know it's there. And we hate, in the same way that we hate sitting, in the same way that, like, the idea of going home and sitting for 20 minutes or five minutes doing nothing is insane to us. The idea of being in silence. I mean, I don't like to be in silence at home. I almost always have some kind of sound on. Silence freaks me out. I haven't I haven't beaten this game. I haven't beaten that game. But uh, we're continually taking things in. So it's like even if you're not on social media or, and taking in everybody's psychic communication and seeing what they want, like seeing, seeing what they think they want. You're going to be exposed to, you're going to be taking so many things in no matter what you do, human created things. 
and then when you're at home you do it you you do it even to an even more intense degree because now you can do it with the things you like now you can now you can take in the things you like you can binge watch you can binge eat you're gonna take it all in and that's kind of what, what goes on it's a take it all in you and your girlfriend oh we dropped my phone you and your girlfriend dropped my phone you and your girlfriend dropped my phone. <laughs> you and your girlfriend dropped my phone. No, but uh, uh, you and your girlfriend sit there taking in Netflix after Netflix, uh, Hulu after Hulu, takeout after takeout, While you're taking things in through your phone, you're sitting there, there's stuff on, on Netflix and maybe you're on your phone too and you're snacking and maybe you even have your computer there. Maybe your computer's even next to you too and you have that. You might not be putting a lot out there in that moment. You're taking a heck of a lot in, and you do that all the time. It's not even about messages. It's not even about brainwashing. It's simply the exposure. And that kind of puts you in a wormhole, if I'm using that right. It kind of puts you down a tunnel. The more you're exposed to, the more you're walled in. We think of being exposed to more things as almost expansive. Like we're seeing more stars. Like the more that we're exposed to, it's like it reveals more stars in the sky. No, it actually walls you in. It puts you in like a dark little tunnel. And the stars that you're seeing are just those little paste-on, like, bedroom ceiling stars that people used to have. Maybe they still have them. Glow-in-the-dark sticker stars. The more you're exposed to, the more you're walled in. But you, you can't help but be exposed to things. And you can't help but expose other people to things. You can't help but send stuff out. You know, a baby has to cry sometimes and express itself. It also has to receive attention. For a baby to thrive, and I know a lot about babies, there has to be an intake and an exhaust. You know, things, it has to receive attention, receive stimuli. And it also has to stimulate things around it. It also has to give attention to other things. But there are times when a baby, and I, I don't even know why I'm thinking about babies so much, but uh, there are times when a baby too, though, just sits there, just lays there, just looks at things. And that's kind of the ideal state. Because like the baby's just seeing things and 
probably doesn't even know what they are, but they're just feeling okay and they're just kind of looking around. They're just laying in their crib looking at things, maybe even looking at the ceiling. And it's funny that that doesn't seem possible to many of us the older we get. Once we're even still in childhood, that seems almost impossible. At a certain point, being in that middle state doesn't even seem possible. Just being a baby in the crib, not playing, not crying, not even sleeping, alone. The parents aren't saying anything, doing anything, interacting with the baby, giving it attention. It's just in its crib. That state seems impossible to us once we reach a certain age. But... um, I do think you can get there. I do think you can see things that way. I do think you can get out of that tunnel. And I think you can do it without slamming any doors. I think you can do it without making a statement. I think you can be silent without announcing your silence. And um, it's going to be imperfect. It will inevitably be imperfect. And that imperfection is relief. There is relief that comes with imperfection. There is relief that comes with being fallen. There is relief that comes with original sin. I sound like a preacher. But there is. And that shows to me... Like when someone hears about an idea like original sin... And they think it's inherently critical or negative... That tells me they're in the tunnel. They think they know a lot. They think they see all the stars. But they're in that tunnel with these fake stick-on glow-in-the-dark stars. And that tunnel is actually very confining. You can barely fit through it. You might be crawling through it, actually. It's like a, a sewer pipe. But uh, original sin, I kind of had this epiphany, you know, in the last few years maybe, but just the idea, oh, that's, there's relief to that. That means I don't have to worry about being perfect. If I'm born imperfect, if I'm born with original sin, if I'm born flawed, Which means that I will continue to err. I will continue to make mistakes. That means I just have to try to 
make mistakes that aren't awful and try to make as few as possible maybe. But if I know they're going to happen, there's some tension that gets released. Like I'm still playing Wordle. I've gotten a little bored by it and I discovered Quartal, which is that you're solving four Wordles at once and it's really hard. I don't even know how to describe it. It's insane. But you, the more you do something, you develop it, like you, you get better at it, it turns out. But uh, I was on this huge Wordle streak where I, I'd gotten them all right. I think I talked about it, where I'd gotten them all right for a, like a big streak. And it tells you your streak. It catalogs all your info. And then one day I got one wrong and I was like, fuck. My streak's over. But some tension gets released when that happens. And that's a silly example, but that's the best example. Like, where it's like, it felt important to me. Because they, they, they have a new one every day. There's a new Wordle every day. You can only do one per day. And if you get it wrong, well, you're just wrong for that day. You can't fix it. There's not another one you can do. Yeah, there's websites where you can, you can do them over and over again and practice, but there's no stakes. What makes the main one good is that if you get it wrong, you're just wrong for that day. The wordle of the day, you were wrong. And when I lost one of them, when I, when I didn't get one, it's funny that in my mind, like even though, I, even though it's just a silly thing I do at the end of the night before I go to bed, I was pissed. I was, I was like, man, fuck. My, streak, I, 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 my streak's over. And uh, <laughs> I felt relieved, though. I was like, oh, there was like this tension building. And that's what happens like when a boxer is undefeated. And, you know, me doing an online word game is a lot like professional boxing. But, uh, you know, you see that like whenever a like, or like, a, like a, you see it in football. When it looks like a team is going to go undefeated. Like, think about that New England Patriots season, was it like 2008? Whatever year that, 2007 or 2008, whatever year that was, where the Patriots went undefeated all year, and they made it to the Super Bowl, and they were undefeated, and they lost to a team that had barely made it. The Giants had barely made it to the Super Bowl. They were a wild card team, I think. And they beat the undefeated team. And you think about the, the amount of tension we got to win this. And nobody wants to lose the Super Bowl. But when you're an undefeated team and you lose the Super Bowl, you know, way better to lose a game earlier. If you lost games earlier in the season and you make it to the Super Bowl and you lose, it's painful because I've seen it. I've experienced my team losing the Super Bowl twice. It sucks. But it'd be way worse if they were undefeated up to that point.
because at least a little bit of tension, like a little bit of tension was released when my team lost a few games earlier in the season. And uh, as human beings, it's almost like we're born with a loss. It's as if we started the season not zero and one, but one and one. Or it's not that like, I mean, maybe some people start out zero and one, but I think a lot of people start out not zero and one, but one and one. Not zero and zero. I think human beings are born with both a win and a loss. Here's an amazing football man. Give me a little credit here. (laughs) How the fuck did did football come into this? Uh, But uh, you know, it's it's like there's a relief to that. We already have a loss under us. We already have a loss under our belt, but we also have a win. But that's still an imperfect score. Even though you're one and one, even though you're neutral, it's still imperfect because there's a loss within that neutrality. And people who are anti-Christian have this tendency to say, Oh, original sin, that means we're supposed to hate ourselves. Oh, that idea of original sin, that means we're supposed to hate ourselves. I'm not going to torture myself. I'm not going to hate myself. I'm not a I'm not going to call myself I'm not I wasn't born a sinner. Your religion is evil and it's like the framing on that has gotten so screwed up. Because you should be able to take that with you and say, oh yeah, I can't be perfect. I will not die perfect. I will not live perfect. Doesn't mean I can't, if if I follow, if I strive for perfection, things are going to be better. But if deep down I know that that perfection isn't possible, that I was born with that imperfection and that causes me to do imperfection, imperfect things. Well, hey, that sounds great. Because I've never met a perfect person. I don't think anybody has. It's not possible. But having that ideal, having that ideal of perfection That motivates you, that sets the bar higher. In Buddhism, it's the most distant shore. The idea is that you won't necessarily make it, you won't. The chances of you making it to that most distant shore on your little raft might be impossible. But where are you going to get in the meantime? On the way there, where are you going to get? If you set your sights on that most distant shore, you might not get to that shore. 
But where else are you going to go? You're going to go other places. Way out there. So you set your sights on some form of perfection. And you're not going to get there. But you're going to get you're going to get closer to it than you would if you didn't set your sights on it. And you know people say don't force it. Act natural. And that's sort of what this is. Those are the most cliche platitudes in the world. But that's basically what this is. Don't slam the door. Slamming the door is forcing it. But you know what is also forcing it? Slow motion, closing the door centimeter by centimeter and gently nudging it closed because you don't want to wake the baby. Different kinds of force, but you're still forcing it in both situations. So what you want to do is learn how to close the door just naturally. Close the door in one natural motion where you're not forcing it too quickly or too slowly, too hard or too gentle. You're just closing the door. And uh, the funny thing about that is that is closer to perfection. That is closer to what you want. Whew. Late one and a long one. Late and long. I'm going to open a 24-hour diner called Late and Long. Long and late. I like late and long. Late and long. Hey, welcome to Late and Long. Also sounds like a... Does, does that sound like an attorney practice? Like law partners, late and long? It's funny, like I'll see like ads for lawyers and stuff and it's like their name's like Brendan Brendan Late Brandon Long Brendan Late and Brandon Long That's the weird thing about my generation growing older is yeah you get you hire a lawyer I not that I did the only lawyer lawyer I've hired in ever was named Larry and he was old then <laughs> that's like the perfect that's like that's like a classic lawyer his name's Larry and he's old but uh nowadays it's like Brandon my lawyer Brandon I have a friend named Brandon good friend I'm not making fun of the name Brandon I'm simply saying it's fucking weird that now we're at that point where like Jason Brandon like names that like you don't meet old men named Jason or Brandon. But you will. 
it is weird to see that happen. But uh, what was I going to say? Late and long. Late and long. Brendan Late and Brandon Long. Partners in law. I'm going to end it. No, I, I don't, I'm not going to reach any definite point here. I've enjoyed talking tonight, this morning, whatever frickin' time it is. Batty wants to go to the bathroom or something, so calling it a night. Good night. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand and walk this land with me